welcome to Let's Talk Law, the Law Careers podcast for students at King's College London. I'm Caroline Nittner, one of the careers consultants for the Dixon Poon School of Law, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Evelyn Elizabeth Jimon. Evelyn completed her schooling in Kochi in India. She then moved to the UK in 2017 to begin her LLB at King's. Throughout her three years during her LLB, she was very involved in legal extracurricular activity, which included running a successful student society to mentoring junior LLB students. Upon graduating in 2020, Evelyn then went on to University of Leeds to complete her LLM in international human rights law, graduating with merit. She has interest in access to justice and equality and completed her dissertation on the topic of gender-based violence in India and government failures to protect women. Evelyn gained her interest in immigration law on completion of a mini pupillage with one MCB Chambers and then went on to complete an internship with Sterling and Law, where she was able to gain first hand experience in completing visa applications. Since then, she has worked towards working in immigration through completing workshops, shops in immigration law and more. Evelyn, thank you so much for joining me today. It's lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me, Carol. I'm, I'm very, very happy to be here. Great. Well, my first question to you, and obviously I've told everybody that you did a law degree at King's, but why did you decide to study for a law degree in the UK? And what was it about King's in particular? So there were some practical aspects to my decision as to why I decided to study law in the UK. So um, as you mentioned, I grew up in India. Um, I was initially planning on studying law in India as well, but um, the reality of studying law in India is that it's a very, very, very competitive field uh, with law, medicine and engineering being the top three most competitive fields in the country. And to get a place in one of the most prestigious universities in India, you have to do an entrance exam and you have what you would say hundreds of thousands, we say lakhs, lakhs and lakhs of people um, applying for the same maybe 6,000 spots. So um, realistically, it was it was an option, but um, not one that I would have been happy with the school that I got. Um, the other option was to apply to the US, but I think most people that have studied law in the UK know that in the US, you have to do four years of undergrad or pre-law and then three years of law school. So that would be seven years of um, education before you finish a law degree. And the same with India as well, it's it's similar. We do um, a three-year degree and then an, and a three-year law degree. So that's six years of education. Or you do a five-year integrated law degree. So that's um, a BA plus an LLB or a BBA plus um, an LLB. So realistically, the reason that I decided to come to the UK specifically was because I was able to study law immediately after school. And that was good for me because I knew from a very young age that I did want to study law. I wasn't sure what type of law, anything like that, but I did know from a very young age that I wanted to study law. So for me, it would not have been particularly beneficial to go through another degree or do an integrated degree. And why Kings? Um, well, that one is a bit obvious. Kings is one of the leading law schools in the world. So um, when I applied, I did I initially think it was a long shot. There was no way that I would ever get in Kings. Um, also had talks in India with um, ex-Kings alumni. So there was one in a neighboring state, because I live in Kerala and this was in Karnataka. So I went to Karnataka for this event, spent the whole day with 
other prospective, other offer holders, pro prospective King students and alumni from Kings. And I remember coming back thinking that this was my dream university. And I remember being so upset. I was like, I'll never get in. Um, but fate has a funny way of, of <laughs> deciding things for you that you never thought would happen. So um, essentially, that's how I ended up at Kings. It was it was fate, I believe, um, especially after I went for that offer holder event. I knew this was the place that I wanted to go to. Yeah, and that's fantastic to hear that you got to meet alumni whilst you were making your decision and waited for your application to be uh, approved. So tell us a little bit about your experience at King's. And I've already mentioned a couple of things that you did outside of your studies, but tell us a little bit more. Sure. So um, I think one of one good thing, and, and if anyone ever comes to me and speaks to me about Kings, this is what I will always tell them, um, is that Kings uh, values extracurricular activities. It gives you so many opportunities, especially in the law school, to get involved outside of your academics. Um, that is within the law school and outside of the law school as well. So within the law school, I um, mentored um, junior LLB students when I was in my second and third year in um, the law family program which was run by students and I also got to run a successful student society that you mentioned uh, that was the human rights uh, project which was a sub 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 society within the pro bono society so you also have the law society and King's Bar and Mooting Society and they do recruit at the beginning of every year so there was a lot of opportunity that I was able to get through these different societies, um, etc. King's also does um, tie up with charities, etc., where they do allow students um, to volunteer or gain some kind of experience. So I did a little bit um, of work with the Freedom Law Clinic through King's. Um, that was a while ago. But other than that, I think the proximity to major chambers, law firms, and just being smack dab in, in central London helped massively because I was essentially able to finish my 9 a.m. lectures on some days and then go in for work experience or volunteer work literally right after that and spend the day there. So I don't believe that other universities have that kind of a focus on extracurriculars and allowing you to grow outside of academics as well. Yeah, that, well, that's really great to hear. And 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 I, I mean, you alluded to it there, but you obviously got involved in lots of things. And one thing you did get involved with was volunteering at the King's Legal Clinic. And you also took the legal clinic module in your final year. So tell us a little bit more about that. So how it started out was um, I first took it as a module um, and then went on to volunteering with it because I did have such a great time. So um, as a as a module, there are certain criteria um, that you have to fulfill to get a grade at the end of it. So it's it's sort of regimented and strict, but still a lot of fun. Um, you get to work as part of the module, you get to work on four cases. I'm not sure if this is still the situation uh, in 2022, <laughs> but it was in like 2019, 2020. Um, but essentially, we got to work on four different cases with a supervising solicitor from different law firms. Um, some were quite senior in the law firms on four different areas of law. So I did family law, immigration. We did some um, trust and we did some charity law as well, uh, charity incorporation. So that was very interesting. Um, we were given a lot of brain on how we wanted to do things so we were 
we were given all information prior to actually meeting the client then we met the client and we were given the opportunity to interview the client ourselves we would take the notes we would come out and speak to this uh, supervisor solicitor about what our thoughts were and they would of course because they have years and years of experience they would fill in the blanks where we we didn't have as much information and at the end of it after doing a lot of research we would um we would type up an advice letter some of these were quite short some of these were like maybe 20 pages like we did have some that were quite um uh quite heavy on the information that we were able to give and um and then we were graded specifically on how we conducted ourselves in the interview how we how we um discussed things with the client how we our etiquette with the supervisor solicitor and our ability to engage in legal drafting and legal research so that was the module specifically i just had so much fun with it that um, in that module that when uh, Shayla, who is the head of the league clinic, when she emailed us at the end of the year saying, hey, we've got some cases that we want to take on over the summer. Would you like to help? I, I jumped at the opportunity because I just at that point we were all in different countries as well, because that was the initial stages of the pandemic. So I was quite happy to even be sitting in India and helping out <laughs> with the case in the UK. So that was a really good experience for me as well. And that case actually went on for a few months because that was a bit more, because we weren't necessarily um, regimented by the confines of a module and how we needed to, we were not graded basically. So we could take our time with it and we could go outside of boundaries as well with that. Um, so that's one plus of doing as as a as a sort of a volunteer thing so that was really interesting and so I, I would say that for anyone that's interested in getting a little bit of experience in different areas of law because uh, I got to do some immigration law while at the legal clinic as well and that sort of cemented my interest in immigration law for me yeah. um, and the other plus is that of course like I said you, you do get access to different areas of law and you get to work in all in four different areas and you never know which one you might be like oh this might be what I want to do for the rest of my life so for someone that's sort of struggling in figuring out what area of law this is a, this is a good opportunity to get involved in different areas yeah and it was very formative for you and we'll come on to that a little bit later obviously what you've ended up going on to do but am I correct in um, saying that when you're doing the module you're organized um, in groups, almost as many law firms. Is that correct? Yes. So in the beginning of the year, we get put into different law, in, into what they call firms. So in some firms will have three people, some firms four, some firms five. But uh, my firm had four. So the four of us um, um, worked on cases from beginning to end. And each, because there were four of us, each of us were given a chance to be the lead on each case as well. So I took the lead on the immigration law case um, and another and another um, classmate took the lead on the family law case and then the charity and incorporation and the trust. Yeah. So um, we all got to sort of decide how we wanted to run things as well to a certain to a certain yeah. extent. It's amazing transferable skills that you were developing. And I know that Shayla really does believe that about that element or the module, how important it is for students. So let's talk about your career options. Um, tell us about the process that you followed when you were exploring the options. I mean, you've already said there's so much choice out there and you've ended up focusing on immigration. Um, 
but I also know from knowing you for a little bit now that you, you've thought about other things. So tell us a little bit more about the process that you followed, Evelyn. So um, essentially, I sort of stumbled into immigration law, but from the very beginning, from when I started law school, I, I sort of knew that I didn't necessarily want to go down the route of commercial and corporate because that just wasn't where my interests were lying. Um, so I did a lot of work experience um, and internships with within both immigration law and human rights law because these were the two areas where I was where I sort of had split interests. Um, human rights law, I did a lot of work with legal charities, fundraising. I did a lot of pro bono work. Um, you know, volunteer work. This is what I'm mentioning earlier. Being smack dab in the middle of, of London gives you access to all these charities and all these opportunities where you can sort of dip your feet into different areas of law. So I did that with both human rights and immigration. Immigration, I sort of stumbled into it because um, I did the mini pupillage with one MCB chambers and then I met someone about maybe three months later who um, essentially offered me an internship at Sterling and Law. Um, and she was like, you know, we we need someone to help out a little bit. Would you be interested? And I jumped at the opportunity and that's when um, I sort of realized that immigration was something I'm actually really interested in as well. And simultaneously, I was continuing to show interest in human rights law because I did do a human rights law module in my second year. And then in my third year, I went on to do anti-discrimination law and US constitutional law, which had a bit of the Bill of Rights, etc. So a, a bit of a human rights background there as well. And then I went on to do my master's at the University of Leeds uh, in human rights law. Um, but I think even to this point, I sort of do still have split interests in both human rights and immigration. And if you ask me to choose one over the other, I possibly couldn't. I think that with immigration law, I'm very happy to be involved in it practically at the moment because that's what I do for work. But human rights law is something that you can still do pro bono, you can volunteer. And I'm working my way back towards that now that I'm sort of settled back in London again after moving back from Leeds. So um, I think that um, I'm sort of still deciding and I don't think I will entirely decide whether I want to pick human rights or immigration. I think I'm going to go do both for as, as long as I can and because I'm just having fun with it and I enjoy both areas of law. Oh, that's just wonderful to hear. I love the fact you say you're having fun with it. And I also love that you said, you know, you're dipping into different areas of laws. So it was like you're almost tasting what, what what sort of felt the best for you. What was the most exciting? And you're continuing to do that, which I think when many of our students go down the commercial law route, you are looking at specialising very early on, but you, but you don't have to. So, so you mentioned there about being offered an internship through your volunteering. And obviously that's, you know, that's you networking, impressing people and there being an opportunity there. Was there any other way that you went about securing legal work experience? Or would you say it was mainly through the exposure you had with the charities that you were working for and with through the clinic and just off your own volition? I think most of it was entirely off my own volition because um, I think it was after my first year, I, you know, we do a set number of modules in our first year. The first year you sort of don't change anything. And I kind of knew that there was nothing that I studied in my first year that I really wanted to go into because, I mean, we did, we did contract criminal um, 
European and something else. <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, it was a uh, public law. So we did those four modules, and I and I kind of knew I enjoyed law, but I wasn't specifically. I didn't get the feeling that oh, this is where I want to. This is the area of law that I want to work in for the rest of my life. So what I did was over the summer between my first and second year. I think I basically spent an entire month just looking up names of charities and um, looking for opportunities that they had. And the very first one I got was with what was then called the Bar Pro Bono Unit. Now it's called um, Advocate as a Casework Volunteer. So we would essentially what the charity did was it would um, take applications for people who were not eligible for legal aid because of some reason, but because of um, certain systemic failures they were still not able to get um, access to justice. So we would sort of take their details and assess their case and then pass it on to barristers who were volunteering and willing to help. So that was the very first thing that I did. And I think that after that is when I realized that I really enjoyed the practical aspect of the law, like being being in there and being able to speak to people and listen to actual cases and realize, okay, this is still, this is a human being, this is a real life, this is not something we just read off a textbook, which is very eye-opening for me. And um, immediately after that, and I think it was definitely because I was um, involved in that sector at that point, we the office for advocate was inside the National Pro Bono Center. So that's a big building, um, got a bunch of other charities. And I think one of those, uh, towards the end of it, I just took down the names of all the charities that were in that building. And I just sent it, started like cold calling them. I just emailed them my CV and cover letter. And I said, okay, look, I'm really happy to help out one day a week because that's all I can spare between my part-time job and actually studying for my law degree I can spare this one day a week and if you have any openings um I would love to help so that um that actually worked a lot better than I thought it would um because I I do keep telling people like you would be surprised how many firms and charities actually do need a lot of help because either they're underfunded or they just don't have the time right now to go on and recruit someone formally and they're they're quite happy when you show interest to be like okay come on we like take you in for a day and just get the extra help um I know it is difficult because a lot of it is unpaid and for some people that it can be a deal breaker but there are a lot of paid opportunities as well and I think that as time goes on um a lot of paid up more paid opportunities are coming coming up um instead of unpaid ones as well but for anyone that wants to volunteer um, I would definitely suggest looking up names of charities um, in your area of interest and just email them because they're not always going to advertise when they need someone it might be some internal dialogue that they are having that you don't know about and then you just show up at the right time you never know yeah so you use in your initiative cold calling as you say which actually does work quite well for many people um yeah I love that that you were in this building and you took down all the names of the charities and then wrote to them fantastic using your initiative so um after you graduated from King's we've mentioned this a couple of times you went on to University of Leeds another wonderful place to study in the UK to do your LLM in human rights why did you make that decision so um I did do a human rights module in my second year and then I went on to do anti-discrimination law and um, legal clinic and U.S. constitutional law in my third year which and to be fair those four modules I think I just had the most fun with I just really enjoyed studying them 
And it was um, also in my third year, towards the end of it, I, I got my final grades for my LLP and I didn't do as well as I thought I would have. Um, there were a lot of personal struggles behind the scenes as well as to the reason why I didn't get the two one that I wanted to get. So essentially, there were it's a two pronged uh, approach as to why I wanted to do my LLM right after my LLP. One was because I knew I really wanted to study human rights law in more depth, and I felt that continuing my studies would have been better for me rather than taking a break. Um, but that is not the case for everyone. Um, and the second reason was just that I just wanted to prove to myself as well that I am capable of getting the grades, and I did prove it in the end. But it was it was more of a that was more of an internal dialogue that I was having with myself. But the main reason was that I I really wanted to study more human rights and see if that was where I wanted, um, what I wanted to pursue as a career choice. And thank you for being so honest about um, your degree classification at King's. And also, I know that that's where I first met you was when you were at Leeds. So you'd left King's by then and you were accessing the careers team. Um, and I should say for our listeners, if you don't know, you can access up, us up to two years after leaving King's. Um, so tell me a little bit about your experience of job hunting for a graduate position. So it was... Um... I feel because I was not necessarily in the commercial or corporate route, it was a, it was extremely different to what I had heard my friends talk about or um, or heard uh, from my friends about their experience. Um, so essentially what I started out with was I waited for my final grades for my LLM, I waited for most of my grades for my LLM so that I could definitely show that um, in contrast to my grades from LLB. Um, and then essentially what I started was I started hitting up charities again and um, immigration law firms, human rights law firms. So it was in those three sort of sectors that I was um, targeting. And essentially, I think I was really surprised um, because of the response that I got. It was a lot more positive than I ever thought it would be. And I think that just goes to show that everyone takes job hunting really seriously when they're in, in uni, but um, it doesn't have to be as scary as people make it out to make it out to be. It's um, it's at least in my experience, it was um, almost smooth sailing and that doesn't have to be the case. And I know, especially with COVID, it was difficult for a lot of people. But I, I do believe that after a certain point, it did start like recruitment started picking up again. But um, essentially what I did was I went to these three sectors and I, again, just started taking names. I um, made a database for myself, basically, of the kind of law firms that I wanted to target, the kind of charities I wanted to target. And then either I waited for them to have some kind of opening up or I would just cold, e cold email them and I would say, this is my CV, this is my cover letter, I would love to join. This is the date I can join. Um, but another thing that I do want to um, bring up, and I know Caroline and I, you, we've discussed this, is how personal the experience was in this sort of area of law in this uh, sector, because a lot of these um, HR teams were were emailing me directly, engaging in actual long conversations with me, um, even prior to prior to the interview or anything like that. It was it was refreshing because I could tell them directly, okay, this is what I wanted. Um, 
this is what I think are my pros and these are what I think are my cons and I this is what I can offer to you and they were all really receptive and um, all quite happy to engage in a conversation with me and besides that I did get some opportunities through networking as well um, to the point where some of these firms would get my CV from someone else um, I would send it through someone else and they would contact me and they would say why don't we have a call and then we can discuss what opportunities we can put you up for so that was a really eye-opening um, situation for me because that happened I think almost three times where the HR team was calling me and saying look we like your CVs but let's discuss which opportunity we can put you up for because we have X, Y, and Z um, opportunities, this paralegal role, this administrative role, and let's discuss and see where you want to be in five years so we can we can better put you up for that specific role. So that was um, that was a really, I think that was just really cool <laughs> that they were able to sit and have that discussion with me and sort of, it felt like they really wanted to see me succeed, which was very refreshing. Yeah, I mean, I as someone who used to do recruitment for a living, I mean, for me, that is just music to my ears. They, that's responsible recruitment where they are managing the expectations on both sides. And but, you know, as we've discussed several times, it's quite different to when you're if you might be applying to a very large organisation where you don't perhaps have that because there are more roles to recruit for. So um, and I do remember, you know, you working incredibly hard on your CV and cover letters and then all of your interviews seemed to come along at once didn't they do you I'm sure you do remember they did. that and, and, and again that was just that's just the way it happens sometimes yes that it was it was so funny because I think that you and I have been we've been talking for like four months yeah. and I had you know I had started off sending my CV and cover letter like quite early like I think I started sending it off in like June or July um and it was at the end of October and beginning of November I hadn't heard back from anywhere for about three months and then I got like six or seven responses in the span of two weeks and I was like what what is happening <laughs> like, so, it was all at once it was a bit it was a bit funny because I remember emailing you each time something came up oh hey Caroline this came up by the way this also came up <laughs> it was um but yeah, that's the reality was... of job hunting. Sometimes you do a lot of preparation for it, and uh, and you might not hear for a very long time. But then it all it all happens at the same time, and that's the challenging thing as a candidate. You are at the mercy, if you like, of of their timetable, and you know that's that's the way it happens exactly. a lot. Yeah. So I do want to touch upon the fact that you know you obviously you are from India and you therefore know all about looking for a role which requires a visa and you know that a lot of our students at King's are from international backgrounds and we get a lot of questions about this so what can you share with students listening who are in the same position? So I would say that the, the main difference from when I was at King's and what's happening now is that when I was at King's we didn't have the, the two-year graduate route, which is the post two-year post-study work visa. And um, from the reality of it, I think that um, because also because of Brexit, and this is what people don't realize, and this is maybe something I realized because I work in immigration law, um, is that a lot more firms and a lot more companies are now applying for sponsor licenses so that they can sponsor people from anywhere in the world because right because now the UK is facing a massive labor shortage um, in so many different areas and even skilled worker labor shortage so for, and unfortunately now for them to recruit someone from India or like 
China or Pakistan, they still have to get a sponsor license, which is the same as now if they would have to hire someone from France, Spain or Poland. So it sort of levels the playing field to anyone outside of the UK. Um, So in in some ways, that's a a blessing because now that gives um, international students more opportunities because now because of Brexit, a lot more firms and companies have to apply for sponsor licenses um, and are more willing to accept people who are outside the UK. That is one. And the second is that um, the post-study work visa itself is is a blessing because it does give students two years of two years of time. Because to be honest, with with uh, with job hunting and finding the right role for you and finding a job that sponsors, all you need is time. Previously, what we had was five months after graduation, which was is really not enough. Um, but now you have two years and you can work in a non-sponsored role for two years. And then you have those two years to gain the experience that you need to apply to a bigger firm or a bigger company, which are able to then offer you a sponsored role. Um, so I think that um, as international students, I think that I, I know a lot of people are quite worried about getting a sponsored role two years after. But the truth is that numbers of firms and companies that are offering sponsored roles are going up and will continue to go up as as we move away from pre-Brexit days. And the second is that you do have two years um, and those two years just use it well, try to get as much experience as you can. Do not worry. I think as international students, do not worry too much about how much they're paying, whatever, whatever. Try to just get as much experience as you can. If you have the time to do volunteer work or any pro bono work on the side do that as well um just try to utilize your time to gain experience because at the end of that two years those two years when you do have to look for a job that sponsors um that that experience will come in handy thank you so much for providing that up-to-date context and also um, those very practical tips and again I'm just going to add one of my own um, the careers team we're not visa experts and we don't give visa advice but we do have lots of information for international students and would encourage students to look at what they need to do to apply for that two-year working visa um, and also to make sure that they are accessing all the support that King's provides for that so so thank you for that and let's now talk about what you are doing on a day-to-day so you're at Taylor Hampton Solicitors as an immigration paralegal what's your day-to-day like Evelyn? So I I think that one of the biggest um, advantages of, of being in a small to medium law firm is that you just get so much experience right from the get-go. Like, I can guarantee that no one's been asked me to bring coffee for them <laughs> at this law firm. So essentially what I do from um, beginning to end is I handle visa applications. Um, so we tend to work in personal and business immigration, not necessarily, we don't do refugee and asylum law. Um, what we do is skilled worker visas. We um, assist companies and firms in applying for sponsor licenses, uh, spouse visas, dependent visas, student visas, um, tourist visas, sometimes um, citizenship applications and indefinite leave to remain, that is settlement applications. So what I do is I, from beginning to end, I handle inquiries. When inquiries come in, I call them up, try to get them to sign up. If they sign up, I sign them on as a client. I take all their documents. I build a case around um, the documentation that they have. Um, After, of course, checking that they are actually 
validly able to apply for the um, visa or position that they that they want to apply for um and then i fill up the forms uh if needed i liaise with the home office directly um collate all the documentation and then work with them towards the end even when they have interviews we coach them through the interviews we don't have too many of those within the uk we seem to have more of those outside the uk um but that's some of the work that we do and i do that from beginning to end from when the client comes in to when their application is lodged and they go in for their interview as well and that's just fantastic as you say end-to-end -end experience that you tend to get if you're working in a, a smaller organization um and that's just brilliant to hear so my final question for you evelyn um what are your career goals tell us a little bit more so essentially right now um and th there's been a lot of changes, I think, since I joined, I mean, since I started at King's, I mean, with with what options are available specifically for people who want to become solicitors and international students who want to become solicitors. So with the introduction of the two-year post-study work visa and then also now with the introduction of SQE, I think that it just simplifies the route and makes it easier for like anyone that wants to become a solicitor it just makes the route a lot easier because earlier um you would have to do me i know a lot of people who worked as paralegals for up to like four years and then got the training contract and then of course they have to train for the two years and then um and then only do they get their sra qualification which is understandable that's how it was but there is a lot of work that i'm a paralegal there is a lot of work that we do that most lawyers do anyway so it's essentially you get the same same sort of experience and it's just a, a matter of a title change um, because as a paralegal you do get a lot of training and a lot of hands-on experience as well um, so right now my career goal is to qualify as a solicitor and with the SQE I get to do two years of work experience as a paralegal I don't have to do a training contract and then I get to do the SQE exam. So since I'm already almost six months into this role, I only have another year and a half of training as a paralegal, and then I can do the SQE and I qualify as a solicitor, which is so different from what it was two years ago when maybe if I was in that position two years ago, I would be, I would be a paralegal um, for two, three, maybe four years before I get a training contract, and then two years of training again. So that just stretches the timeline by that many more years um so i think that sqe simplifies things a lot for a lot of people yeah and uh, i i of course six months in already as you say 18 more months so then you get to do those ex more exams i'm afraid uh, <laughs> and then um and then hopefully get you know uh, put on the role of solicitors which is actually not that long away is it so it's very exciting um we have come to our the end of our time together evelyn and it's been delightful to speak with you you are the first person we've had on let's talk law to, who has gone down uh, you know quite a different route actually in terms of not necessarily being focused on commercial and corporate work and it's been great to hear about your experiences of at King's, um, what you got involved with, how that's helped you. Um, job hunting as an international student, I know lots of our listeners are going to find that really helpful. And just hearing about the work that you've been doing and your obvious enjoyment in it. So before I do let you go, I want to remind our listeners that we'll be back soon with a new episode of Let's Talk Law. But in the meantime, on behalf of our listeners, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, it's been wonderful chatting with you and we hope to welcome you back physically at King's in the not too distant future. 
Thank you so much, Caroline. This was this was great. Thank you so much for inviting me.